Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and for the record, this is episode three of season six. Now, that's the official classification, but much more importantly, this is part two of our top retailer round table. Last week was part one of this in-depth discussion that took place at the KBSA conference a few weeks ago. And we've got a roster of some of the most high-profile KBB retailers in the UK talking about some of the biggest issues. We have Tony Robson from Day True in London, Keith Myers from the Myers Touch in Winchester, Diane Berry from Diane Berry Kitchens in Manchester, Paul O'Brien from Kitchens International in Scotland, and Rob Mascari from Mascari Design in Nottingham. And you'll also hear from Dawn Short from Callaton and Stephen Johnson from Kuka giving the supplier's point of view. Now, in part one, we covered two big topics, how business has changed post-COVID, including a great discussion on who is still running by appointment only, and we also looked at how our retailers are approaching the thorny subject of sustainability. Now, in part two, we're going to deal with another couple of big subjects, including probably the biggest of them all at the moment, the floundering supply chain in some categories and the disruption that's causing the retailer's day-to-day business. And then we talk training, development, apprentices and the next generation and whether or not this industry really has a plan. Two big subjects for part two of this discussion, so don't miss it. But first... It's now officially November, which means it's now officially getting very near to the closing date for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2023. Are you a brilliant kitchen or bathroom designer? Then we've got categories for you. Are you an amazing kitchen or bathroom retailer with a stunning showroom? Then we've got categories for you. Have you started a brand new kitchen or bathroom retail business in the last 12 months? Then we've got categories for you. Are you under 30 and doing fantastic things in your kitchen or bathroom retail business? Then we've got categories for you. Are you an installer or a retailer who employs installers? Then we've got categories for you. And are you a manufacturer, supplier or service provider doing great things for your independent retailer, kitchen and or bathroom customers? Then we've got categories for you. To see the full list of all those trophies, go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards. It's totally free to enter, and entries close at 5pm on Thursday, November the 17th. And don't go thinking we'll just extend that because all awards do it. We don't. What's the point of a closing date if we don't close on that date? So that's kbbreview.com forward slash awards, and entries close at 5pm on Thursday, November the 17th. So let's start with one of the biggest issues in the industry, supply chain disruptions. Appliances in particular are still causing big headaches for so many, and while some are finding costly workarounds to try and keep customers at least functioning in their new kitchens, there's no question that sympathy for suppliers is wearing thin. Here's Tony Robson from Day True. It is the hardest part of our job at the moment. I've got a picture on my phone of my best friend's house that's got a gap where his oven should be, which I ordered in February, and I still don't know when it's going to come. It's become pertinent because he, he's now getting frustrated with his best friend. Customers, they don't believe you. They do after a, for a certain time, and then it's okay, but really, what you know, what's going on now? For me, it's the supply chain, and, and I've said it should be a standard service level agreement, which probably the KBSA could put together for independence to use because for me there needs to be parity within the industry so we get suppliers come to us with a set of rules terms and conditions contracts saying you have to display x amount and don't get me even on paying for displays to showcase their brand within our showrooms but you have to have x displays you have to do x turnover you have to do this you have to do that and then as it is at the moment we're getting completely let down by them and there's no recourse there's no well okay but what's your agreement to us 
to make sure that I've not got my best mate ringing me up really frustrated that he's not got oven. When that oven does come, I'm having to send a fitter out for £150 to put it in. There's some better than others. I'm seeing it going through the old furniture suppliers. You know, we don't make our own furniture, so furniture suppliers are having issues. You know, I'm sure all retailers have problems with people not turning up to do a template or, you know, a worktop or a worktop going wrong. It, it goes through the whole supply chain. And I just think there needs to be this agreement, a service level agreement between us all. This is how we're going to work in this relationship and it's fair for both. And I just think it's really one way at the moment. You know, and it's not just COVID that's caused this. Two years ago, there's a certain supplier that had issues with an IT system. Two years before that, they launched a range when then they didn't have any stock of it. So it's not just COVID. They're just using COVID as an excuse now. But they want us to showcase their products within our showrooms without being able to guarantee us that they're going to have a good supply from Guatemala. It's the retailer and the end user where all the pain is. It's easy to pick client manufacturer yeah. at the minute because some of them, are, most of them are particularly bad in certain areas. Mm. But it's but it is the supply chain. I think our industry is 15, 20 years behind. One of my friends works in the aerospace industry. They're, they're massively in advanced on where we are. For KUKA UK boss Stephen Johnson, this is all a question of communication. For him, suppliers are simply trying to manage a very difficult global situation. But this is being exacerbated by the poor provision of reliable information. And that is something suppliers can control. No manufacturer sets out not to supply a retailer. I think we have to be considerate to each other. And for me, it's communication. So it's not, I think everybody is tolerant that there are supply issues. We as a manufacturer take our responsibilities seriously. So we overstocked and we see it as our responsibility to make sure that the retailer has stock. And I wouldn't expect our retailers not to have stock. If we couldn't deliver, we would compensate. But I think it's communication. And I'm, listen, we're very privileged that we've been in stock, but we made business decisions to help us do it. Some were fortunate. We bought mm. a lot of chips. We were very lucky. But I think we have to work together. And I think what I see is if, if we've got unhappy retailers, unhappy manufacturers, it doesn't bode well for us as an industry. And I feel the pain of Tony because I understand he can't finish a kitchen. He can't get paid. It's a real problem, but I think it needs communication. The retailers can play because we get some companies that order when they get the kitchen order, so they give us 12 weeks. I get lots of other companies that will f expect to deliver it overnight. So I think there are practices you can put into your business that ease the pressures. But I think both people want to supply the end customer. And I think we have to speak and communicate and be helpful to each other and understand problems. But for us as a manufacturer, I think it's our responsibility to make sure you have stock. And if you're not, that we communicate when you're going to get it clearly. That's our duty because you guys at the end of it have to fit a kitchen on a date and get paid. Which is all very well, but surely everyone is part of a supply chain and you can only be as reliable as a supplier that comes before you. That's their duty to give me correct information. So providing everybody is honest and communicates in good factual information, then you can deal with it. And I think there is, for me, when I hear the discussions, it's all about communication, that nobody can under understand what's going on and when they're going to get it. And I think you need assurances. One of my favourite moments from this discussion comes next, as we hear a perfectly reasonable point raised by the moderator, journalist Juliet Morris. And the reaction of the audience says more about this current supplier retail standoff than anything else. 
Because it's not really difficult, I'm, is it, to say we will be able to provide you this by X date? Yeah, I mean, I think I, there's then got to be a recognition from the manufacturer. That <laughs> it's difficult. I think it is difficult, but I think there has to be a recognition from the manufacturer. I wouldn't want to put a retailer at a cost disadvantage because I failed them. So if I couldn't deliver a product, I would supply another product at my cost and then replace it at my cost. I wouldn't expect my retailer to pick up the cost of that. So I think that's where you can be fair, communicate. And, and offer a better service. That was Stephen Johnson from KUKA. For our other supplier, Calton, some very astute foresight saw them as well prepared as anybody could have been in the very uncertain times of COVID. They were acutely aware that they sit in the middle of the supply chain and that means they needed to look after the people either side of them, if at all possible. The onset of the pandemic, one thing that we, we recognised was if we, hopefully, if we come out of this, one of the things that was going to be very difficult was supply chain. So one of the key decisions we took right from the outset was we are going to make sure that we pay all our suppliers any outstanding balances we had, we would pay them in the time. We weren't going to, as we know other businesses did, use the excuse, all oh, right, we haven't got anybody working in the accounts department, we can't make the payments, cash flow, etc., etc. Yes, we're in a fortunate position that we could do that, but we felt that was really important to treat our suppliers fairly. And that's exactly what we did, obviously on the hope that they would then reciprocate when things um, sort of got up and running again and have us at the front of the queue one of our ethics really within our company is, is to be fair both to, to retailers and, and suppliers. So that was the first thing that, that we did and it certainly it helped us. We have long-term relationships with suppliers anyway. And Blum, we have pilot status. Blum provide all of our um, sort of componentry. So we already could rely on the relationships that we've had to say, oh, you know, that, that was one of our, the components were one of our key issues. And we could rely on the relationships to say, right, we, we need you to help us out. The other thing, again, we had to be realistic that we recognised that we couldn't meet the time scales that we generally would, you know, our, our general program process. So we pushed our, our timescales out and we said to retailers, right, you're going to have to allow us a bit longer here because we know we're not going to get the componentry, etc., to develop that kit, to manufacture that kitchen on time. So there was various different steps. Our first reaction was, oh my goodness, if, if we tell our retailers that it's going to take even longer to uh, manufacture this kitchen, it's going to be very, very negative. Absolutely not. Retailers were so understanding and said, yeah, that makes far more sense. And it is difficult and we really sympathise with, with the retailer because you've, you've got the end client there and you're in the firing line from the end client. So we try to be honest. And I think sometimes you, you, you touched on, on earlier about you must know. Sometimes, no, you don't know because you, you made the point that you are relying on other people supplying you. And sometimes you don't get those dates. But I think it's better to be open and honest and say we are pushing our supplier. But at this point in time, we don't have a definite but again looking at alternatives so how do the actual consumers feel about all these delays particularly in appliances for rob mascari the patience of his clients is starting to wear a bit thin and all he can do is make sure they are under no illusions right from the offset to be perfectly honest with you it's almost one of the very first things that we say now we almost make a cracker joke about it we can do your beautiful kitchen just hope you don't want any appliances to go with it kind of managing those expectations absolutely the moment they walk through the door of course we've had 18 months of experience now of being able to uh, get heads around that we ain't going to get appliances when we want them I, I give them a choice i say right you can either have for argument's sake you can have this fisher and Pikel product which 
guarantee we'll be here by the time your kitchen goes or if you want the Neff hide and slide or something like that I haven't got a clue and yeah. if you don't believe me go and look on the front page of their website because it says exactly the same thing on there also to be fair I mean we, we, we've only got one studio and I made a decision uh, three or four years ago now to actually pretty much go down distributor sort of route rather than than direct yes we pay a few extra pennies on it but we don't have the targets we don't have the well you must to put this in and that in the other then we're stuck just because obviously a smaller studio then we haven't put all eggs in one basket with one brand so we haven't got that problem thankfully Rob isn't the only one who knows that managing the customer's expectations has never been more important and making sure they can still function once their new kitchen has been installed is a big part of that here's Diane Berry when I'm surveying a kitchen, I always say, keep your old appliances. You've got an oven. I know it might sound crazy. I'm saying to you now that in four months' time, I might not have your oven, so please don't sell it. Sell your kitchen cupboards. Hang on to your oven. Hang on to your dishwasher. Have you got a fridge in the garage? You know, we have little temporary kitchens that look like they should be in a cute little Wendy house. It's got a fridge and a hop and a sink. So we have those. But if you can keep your oven that you know, we'll slide it into your kitchen and at least you're up and running. For Paul O'Brien at Kitchens International, he agrees that there are still a lot of challenges, but he says they are also doing everything they can to manage the bits under their control. And customers are still being appreciative of that most of the time. It's a challenging situation. The thing that, that Stephen mentioned earlier, which I completely agree with, uh, it's relationships is, is absolutely key to it. Also, Don mentioned being empathetic or sympathetic to circumstances. It's slightly different to yourself, Rob. We, we actually find that clients are actually quite accommodating and quite understanding. We've started to try and control the controllables. We have temporary appliances. We make sure clients are not without cooking facilities. Like Rob, we make sure that they know that we, we don't have them in stock and they're likely not to be in stock for a period of time. But communicate and, and actually letting the clients know as early as we possibly can that there's going to be a delay and the percentage of them are actually quite accommodating and understanding. So it's communication from our side to say we're going to be six months away here. Can we look at alternatives? If you want to wait, we'll find temporary appliances yeah. to tide you over. But it's not nice, especially when you're waiting from February. It wears thin after a period of time. The shortage of appliances is a proper headache, of course. But like all good entrepreneurs, some are finding that there are some small advantages and upsides that can be exploited, if you know what you Doing. Here's Berry. The interesting thing that we've tried to do, and I don't know if anyone's tried doing it, is we've stopped discounting appliances because you don't need to discount if no one else can get it. And then when they say someone else has offered me a discount, I say, well, they must be crazy because your appliances are going to arrive a week after we finish your kitchen, two weeks after you get here, and we're going to be coming back to you in dribs and drabs. So we've actually got a fitter doing a return visit potentially five to ten times to install the appliances as they land. So if you want to go on the internet and buy them yourself and sort out your own fitter, but if you're happy to pay the retail price so stop discounting we don't need to discount at the moment if no one's got it they can't beat you down on price as we've already mentioned it's a very mixed bag when it comes to how different brands are coping with the problems one that came up during this discussion was Miele after a story in kbb review in september where dr marcus Miele said lead times were returning to normal according to keith myers however that's yet to reach the shop floor in a significant way but they are doing some things right we have seen a little bit of more improvement in Mila. I mean, I wouldn't write home about it or, or maybe it's going to be there for a long time. But one of the things that they do do, which I think is very helpful, is actually give us a delivery date. Before COVID, appliances, you were finalizing the appliances one to two months probably before you went to site. Now it's pretty much as soon as they signed on the dotted line, we're ordering the appliances. And we're, furniture for us is on six months lead time at the moment. So we're ordering as soon and, and we're absolutely telling clients that you have to get that order in. Now, the advantage with Miele, I think from our point of view, is that they give us a date at that point, 
And to be honest with you, they pretty much keep to it. They manage in their supply chain to a point that they're communicating to us and we can work with that. Because I prefer to delay the kitchen a couple of weeks and all the appliances are there. Because some of them you can't fit, like Vario Core, Master Call. You really need the appliance there to fit the kitchen. There is some suppliers that don't give you a date. And when they do give you a date and you've told the client, oh, it's coming on the 14th of September, and then it just doesn't turn up, or it suddenly moves out two weeks, and you've booked the fitter, you've told the client, you've raised expectations, all that sort of stuff, and then we suddenly have to manage that back. And that's really difficult. You've got clients desperate for appliances, and they say, look, as soon as it arrives, well, it's due in so-and-so, and that is really difficult to do. And then come back to communication. For me, some of the organizations that are massive, you know, their MRP system should know that that part was manufactured or being manufactured weeks ago or that item, that bit of steel or whatever they, they need to make it is on its way and it arrives. They must know that it's being made and they must know it's going to arrive. And why suddenly something moves like that kind of feels like it's been stolen from you right the last minute. This idea that the sophisticated IT systems used by huge manufacturers should be able to track where products are gets to the nub of the problem as Keith describes it. This lies at the incredulity that so many retailers feel. They perceive explanations as poor excuses, and it drives a wedge between the two camps that should be working so closely together. That's certainly the view of Tony Robson at Daydrew. The interesting thing there about the MRP system is things coming. If they can't, they can't give us an answer on when something's going to come, and perhaps they don't know. I get that. But they're still happy to take our orders. They still want to take our orders. And then there's the issue that I think a few of us had, where you've got a backlog of orders, and then they put you on stop because you're over your credit limit on products that they can't deliver. It's just the slap. Slap again. Slap again. Sometimes, you know, I'm having to say I'm sorry to a lot of my clients, mm. and just a simple I'm sorry would be quite nice as well because we're having to say a hell of a lot at the minute just think about the money we've all wasted this year on having to get fitters back out on having to get this the amount of appliances we've had to buy off ao.com or various other things just to keep our customers happy you know and it, like i say it just wearing a bit thin let's leave those appliances behind for a little while and move on to training now for as long as i've been covering the kbb industry there has been an open dissatisfaction with the education pathways available to retailers and designers and anyone entering the sector for the first time for that matter the kitchen design degree course at bucks university for example was heralded as the future but it will not run for new entrants in 2023 the current focus is on apprenticeships which seems a much more practicable option for most but not everyone can see the benefit in the day-to-day -day running of a kbb showroom is Diane Berry. Well, over the years, I've tried apprentice fitters. And one of the problems that we have, and, and lots of you guys don't employ your fitters, and I'm perhaps a bit odd that I do, is that they generally don't want to get out of bed on a Monday. They're only allowed to do a 36 and a quarter hour week. They have to have their 15 minute breaks. And the fitters just want to work. They don't want, you know, a youngster that's like, am I allowed my break yet? And I have to go now, and my mum's picking me up. It's really hard. It's I find it easier to employ someone as a trainee that's older. I mean, we started actually on Monday someone that was 52 as a trainee on minimum wage so to me he's not an apprentice when you're talking about apprentice you're talking about schemes talking where about you're paying the government contribute and so we yeah. have done them and then you train them and they go now I'm sure many of you out there will have shared Diane's experiences when it comes to the practicalities of having an apprentice but for Paul O'Brien at Kitchens International the pros more than outweigh the cons as a business we actually have eight apprentices just now we have about 20 full-time joiners but I actually think it's the the foundation of our business 
business. I think the culture of your business then is imparted. Young apprentices coming through start working with their journeymen, tradesmen. They start to learn the behaviours as well as the skill. They learn the sort of mindset and attitude why we do what we do. Our project management team of seven, four of them were fitters, two of them were apprentices. So as a growth and succession, I actually think it's the right thing to do. But what about that common argument made by Diane that all employers are doing is training people up only to have them leave to go elsewhere? So does Kitchens International keep all its apprentices once they're fully trained? Some we do, some we don't. But where people move on, we, we have some tradesmen now who've gone self-employed, working for themselves. They still do work for us that serve their apprenticeship with us. It then comes back to what was speaking about earlier on, is the right environment? Are you creating the right culture? Are you got the right infrastructure for, for retention of staff? But I think from a, from a, a brand perspective, Perspective, it provides an opportunity at a very young age to impart knowledge are. and culture. Another advocate for apprenticeships is Dawn Short at Callanton, and it works best, she says, when both the company and the apprentice can see the mutual benefit. We've had huge, huge success with apprentices. We've now got four people who started with us as apprentices, a young men that started with us as apprentices, who have now senior positions within within the company. You know, it's been really, really successful. So, yeah, very passionate. I think it does help that we had an organisation who did the kind of initial vetting of the young people, and I think that helps. They, they target the ones that they can see want to work hard ones who wanted the opportunities yeah. and it's been great and it's been lovely I think to give young people opportunities it's brilliant to see it and it's brilliant to see them thriving so well so huge huge fans as we've already mentioned the kitchen design degree course at Bucks University was a big breakthrough and why it may have folded rather than persevered it has still left a positive legacy for some Rob Mascaro, for example, was one of the organisers. I was with Tony three years as an associate lecturer on the Bucks University course, which was a wonderful opportunity to spend some time with some, some youngsters, some newcomers to the industry who were very excited. They hadn't got drawn into the day-to-day drag that we can often pass on a little bit too much than we should do. So lots of really exciting, innovative youngsters with a fresh approach were wanting to be professional in what they do. They weren't wanting to just jump straight in and call themselves a, a kitchen designer. So I am the converted in this one. I'm a big yeah. believer that, that education and professionalising our industry is, is critical and, and should somehow get back on track because it's slightly derailed at the minute. As we heard there, Tony Robson, along with his wife Hayley, were also part of the team organising that degree course. So if everything Rob says about those on the course is true, what went wrong? Realistically, it's finished because as an industry... All of us have not supported it. But I think it, I think there was a cynicism. I, 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 you're just listening to Rob there. The, the joy myself and Hayley used to get from seeing these people develop. You know, we, whenever we had to go to one of the residentials, it's like, we're what are we doing this for? God, we could do without this. We spent two days there and we was infused and we'd learnt a load. And again, it's education. You know, if we could do more things like this and say to all the retailers out there, if you've got someone in your showroom, put them on the degree course because it's absolutely awesome. So we've all let it down because we've allowed it to finish. Maybe the full degree course was just a stretch too far for an industry that has no formal education framework. One suggestion for an alternative is some sort of accreditation qualification that gives customers reassurance of the level of knowledge designers and fitters may have. It's certainly not a new concept, but it simply won't work without the support of the industry. Is Tony Robson. The German plumbing market has that. A bathroom fitter in Germany has to be accredited. You know, no one would dream of having someone fit their bathroom that's not got an accreditation. You can't have someone fit gas in your house without a gas safety. So, yeah, it's a way, way off and it's massive. And it was something that we were trying to and still would be involved in put, trying to put together. But there has to be a massive push from everyone in our industry to make it happen. 
That's it for the Big Retailer Roundtable. A huge thanks to Rob, Paul, Diane, Keith, Tony, Dawn and Stephen. Also a big thank you to the KBSA for hosting a really interesting conference. It'll be back next year, so look out for that. If you're listening on an app such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify, then just jump back to last week for part one. Alternatively, I'll put the direct link in the episode description. Don't forget that entry is closed for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2023 at 5pm on Thursday, November the 17th. It's totally free to enter and you can get all the details at kbbreview.com forward slash awards. And yes, I have got a cold. See you next time.